you actually have to really understand, for me anyway, this is how I work, is once I understood that my wheel of fear and my wheel of fear trigger, my core fear is loser. So if I think you think I'm a loser, I smell it, I think it, then I go into protection mode, right? And now mind you, I've never been called a loser in my life, right? So that's the other thing. Most people know what they, they think they know what they're afraid of. And I always tell people you're 99.9% of the time dead wrong. This is Super Fast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 718. I'm chatting with Rhonda Britton, who is a master life coach. Welcome, Rhonda. Thank you, Mr. James. I'm so excited. 758, you've been around the block. (laughs) (laughs) You've been helping people for years. I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah, about 10 years worth of podcasts here on superfastbusiness.com. And we've had a variety of uh, guests talking about any number of topics. But I'm really excited to talk about this one because we're going to be talking about fear, of course, you're from fearlessliving.org. You've spent a whole lot of time helping people overcome fear. I'm not even sure if you use the word overcome, if you've changed that, because I'm sure you have a very unique process to how you deal with that phenomenon. And you do spread your word from various platforms. You've had your own TV show, which is mm-hmm. amazing. You had Starting Over. You won an Emmy Award for that. You've been yes. on Oprah more than once. So you've Correct. really hit the high notes in terms of how people have captured this message and the platforms you've been able to share it on. So we're actually pretty lucky to have you here on Superfast Business, the way I look at it. Thank you, James. So where do we start with this topic? Of, I guess I'll relay a, a short story and then that might sort of open things up for you. But I think for a few years after I left my last job, uh, which was a general manager's role, in a really high-pressure environment because I had young kids had a mortgage to pay. I had a, a lot of bosses and pressure and spreadsheets and it was commission-only environment for many, many years. When I left mm-hmm. that to go into my own business, I think for a number of years, like many, many years, I still had <laughs> flashbacks or nightmares of, you know, my worst nightmare is thinking I'm still working in a car dealership, but I can't remember the name of the, the products and uh, like, <laughs> oh, really, I've got to go through all of this again. It's like, yeah like being pulled back. It took years for me to let go of the tension and the stress. And I joke about this with some of our friends from the industry who I'm still in touch with, but we think it's very similar to that post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, that <laughs> we're in a really, a real pressure cooker. And I think yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs operate out of, a, you know, a significant place of fear. They're always just one month away from bankruptcy or social, mm-hmm. what do you call it when you're pushed to the side and you're pulled away, you know, cast Irrelevant. away. Yeah, you're, they're you're basically. Irrelevant, you're cast away, rejected. Yeah, they're just, that's it. They're pushed to the side. They're looked down upon. Mm-hmm. They've got people who depend on them to provide for them, obviously. Oh. And, and I think a lot of them are still making up for lost ground from lack of cuddles from their parents or being told <laughs> they won't amount to anything by their school teacher. You know, typical stories that you hear. Well, I think that it's a really important point that you're making is that I don't know anybody that doesn't have fear. And one of the things that people say to me on a regular basis is like, Rhonda, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I go, yeah, I never use the word I'm afraid or I'm scared either. But I did have the results of being afraid, i.e. manipulation, defensiveness, perfectionism, anxiety, worry, comparing, competing, and I could go on. And so all of these fear responses, whatever you think your problem is, is really a fear response. You don't get overwhelmed unless you have a fear underneath it. You don't feel rejected if you don't have a fear underneath it. 
you don't, you know, feel discarded if you don't have a fear underneath it. So most people are not admitting that fear is a driving force in their life, which of course is the number one thing that could turn their life around and change their life is if they just are willing to first step is to even admit that they've got fear going on. So I like to say that anything you think your problem is, anything that you beat yourself up for, anything that you think like, oh, this is a character weakness. If I only got good at this, that's all fear responses. And so you don't have a lot of problems. I used to think I had so many problems, right? Worry, perfectionism, et cetera, procrastination, right? So I used to think there were so many things wrong with me. But when I, I started understanding how neuroscience works and how fear really plays in and is part of our neurobiology, then everything changed for me. And all those things that used to drag me down, that negative self-talk, you know, that, oh, I'm not good enough. You know, again, whatever words you use to beat yourself up, put yourself down, compare yourself to others, those literally went away. And I don't know about you, but James, because when I have a clear head and I'm not being inundated with those negative self-talk, I actually can create. I can actually be bold in my decisions. I can actually do things that I'm called to do rather than, I've got to do this because I'm desperate to do it, or I better do this or I'm screwed, right? We don't want to live our lives like that. I know I don't. And I come across the majority of people, and I don't care if you're an entrepreneur making you know, $10 million or an entrepreneur making $5,000, right? Doesn't matter. We all have these things that are driving our behavior that actually one of the compelling reasons we do what we do, which is own our own business, we want to become masterful. But fear, it's part of our neurobiology, just keeps getting in the way. And we blame ourselves for it. Well, as you say that, it gave me memories of some of the bad bosses I had who used to like really put their thumb down on top of you and control mm -hmm. you and make you scared. They use threats and so forth yep. to try and motivate people. Uh, like it's very common in the sales team, for example, like the worst performer is going to lose their job. They're pretty much, they have to make a sale or they're out. Yes. And they're the ones who sweat and uh, pester clients way over the top and act inappropriately or make false promises to just desperately grapple for that role. And I'm thinking about as being a good leader is to create a workplace or an environment where there's not fear, where it's not always that constant threat. And then you do get that creativity. I think you're absolutely right. I, I know I'm super creative when I'm doing positive, fun, happy things like surfing, mm -hmm. for example, which I make sure I do every single day. And that just opens up the positive thing. It's very easy with the you know, social media and news, if you're ever exposed to it, can be giving the impression that you should be scared. I mean, <laughs> right now, like amazing start to the year so far. We've had a global outbreak of a virus that's killing people. We've yeah. had fires yeah. burning our country to the ground. We've got planes getting shot out of the sky. You've got the president of the biggest country in the world is impeached. I'm probably leaving out a couple, but you know, there's a lot <laughs> going on in the news right now and people are scared, but there's so yeah. much positive to be happy for things can be brilliant i mean i just got fast internet hooked up yesterday i was very excited about about that so you know there's a lot of things to be excited for and one thing i have noticed is when i'm out there in the waves on my board all that stuff doesn't matter it doesn't matter at all the waves don't right. care about bushfires mm -hmm. or viruses or whatever it's just letting go of holding on to all of that stuff and feeling like you need to be involved do you think sometimes people are actually compelled to place themselves in the line of drama like they keep watching the news even though it's absolutely. making it bad for them absolutely absolutely because then it gives them an excuse. It gives them a way right. out. I can't make a million dollars because you see the economy right now. Oh right. my God, I can't do A, B, or C because climate change, right? So we use the external environment. And by the way, our neurobiology does this automatically. We actually have to take our power back, but our neurobiology is wired to conserve energy. 
So what our body does is try to conserve energy. So we just repeat the same patterns over and over again. Neuroscience now shows that the only way that you can truly change your life is by changing your filtering system, by changing the way you look at things. So just like you're saying, okay, yeah, this sucks over here. And how can I use that to benefit me? So for instance, you mentioned our president and, you know, I look at him and go, wow, he's very emotionally and verbally abusive, you know, very emotionally and verbal. I think anybody could agree with that. And so one of the things that I do is I go, okay, so how am I like that? You know, how do I emotionally abuse myself, verbally abuse myself? How do I accept it from others? You know, everything's out there for us to grow, to change, to become more of who we're meant to be. And the thing is that what we don't understand is that our neurobiology actually is in charge of our decision making if we don't take it back. So like I said, let's say there were 100 units of energy, like 100 units. 100 units. And during that 100 units, got to conserve them. So the brain, what they've noticed is that actually the template we use to make decisions in our life when we're unconscious, when we're not awake, when we're not present, like you said about when you're surfing, right? You're totally present, is it just repeats the past because all fear cares about is keep you alive. It doesn't care about your happiness. It doesn't care what your bank account says. It only wants to keep you alive. So it will have you repeat patterns over and over and over again. So they might look like a different person, but it's a similar outcome. So our neurobiology has us wired that way. Also, our neurobiology doesn't know the difference between an emotional fear and a physical fear. So you're talking about going surfing. Some people might be like, oh, my God, I'd be so scared to do that, right? And yet most people admit their physical fears, but they won't admit or are even aware of their emotional fears. So that fear of rejection, fear of loss, fear of failure, fear of success, et cetera. And the body and brain and the way we work doesn't know the difference. So you wanting to increase your income by three or wanting to open your own business is going to bring up emotional fears. And unless you see them for what they are, they will trick you because fear is smarter than you are, more educated than you are, knows everything you know. So it will use anything to get you to stop because it loves you and it wants to keep you safe. So it will do anything to do that. So the way our neurobiology works is that fear will win always if we don't actually make a different choice. And making a different choice will actually bring up all those fears and we have to be able to see the fears for what they are, right? We just have to be able to see them for what they are so we don't get caught in them and believe them. So when people say, you know, I'm not good enough, it's like, really? Are you making that up or is it a fact? And people build evidence to prove that. And it's like, well, do you want to keep building evidence to prove that? Or do you want to think differently about yourself? So we have so much power. But like you said, the tragedies of the world, the fears in the world come down upon us. And we actually think we're victims of that. So even though we're doing the best we can, so many of us are actually living in a victim mentality. Now, I know none of us want to believe that, but it's actually true, right? You're a victim of your own emotional thoughts, feelings, body sensations. So you get to decide. And that takes courage. That takes a willingness. And you got to see your whole life differently. Wow. So I, that's pretty profound stuff. And I'm just wondering, why aren't we hearing about this stuff at school? I know. You know, like we'd learned to put our seatbelt on. We're told we shouldn't smoke. Uh, we should check left and right before we cross the road. We've got a lot of things around that physical fear and danger. But we don't get taught much about emotions, it seems. Well, I think it's also the adults, right? Because they don't know emotions. I mean, one of the first things that I do with clients is just get out a feelings list and start talking about feelings. And, you know, most people have comfortable with two to four feelings. Oh, I'm angry. I'm depressed. I'm sad. You know, I'm frustrated. Maybe I'm happy. Right. And they kind of bounce around all those feelings. Well, 
Also, neuroscience has told us that the more emotional intelligence we have, the more we can define feelings, the larger our vocabulary is in defining feelings, the more that we actually have our life back. So when you only have two or three feelings, you're going to be at the effect of those. But if you have 100 feelings, 200 feelings, you can tell the difference between frustrated and irritated. If you can tell the difference between anger driven by fear and anger driven by freedom, now you have self-mastery. Now you have self-regulation. Now you can take your life back. And now you can decide you won't be tricked right? But we're not taught that. Just like you said, we're not taught that because I think the adults in the world don't understand it themselves. And everybody has beaten themselves up and told, been told that it's their fault, right? Like, oh, you're lazy. Oh, you're stupid. You're A, B, and C. And it's like, "Mm, no, you're not stupid. And no, you're not lazy. You're not any of those things. It's just that fear has kind of purchased you and you've bought in and believed it. So most people don't understand that the things that they say to themselves, beat themselves up by, their quote-unquote negative beliefs are just symptoms of fear. It's nothing else. But it's hard when it feels so overwhelming, right? When it feels like it's true. And we want to start separating that truth from fact, right? We want to know what the fact is rather than the feeling of truth. I mean, this, this is where so many of the law of attraction kind of gets it wrong, right? Law of attraction works to a certain extent, but over here, uh-uh, it's going to keep you stuck in fear over and over again. Yeah, I recently had a guest on that topic. And I know the law of attraction seems pretty simple. You want something, you go get it. <laughs> That's my uh, understanding of how things actually work. And I sort of have a laugh about it. But it seems that what I've noticed as I've changed my routine and uh, let go of the way we're told to do things, I've let go of mm-hmm. doing a nine to five Monday to Friday. I've let go of having to work in someone else's business and doing what I'm told. I've got that space. Up until I had my recent baby, I had very, very, very good sleep. And we start to be able to catch things as they're coming through our mind and stop, question everything and recalibrate. And uh, then I studied some guys like Adler and Mm -hmm. his philosophy. And he says, look, people only have trauma because they choose to repeat it and bring it back into the future. And you could pretty much just park it if you want. Yeah. Well, I think that's true and false, right? Right. If you don't see it as trauma, you can't park it. Right. So if you believe it's true about you and you've been told it's true about you, you can't park it. So that's the thing. It's like, you know, one of the things that I always talk about in Fearless Living is the amount of gentleness, compassion and innocence you must have in order to truly change your life. So being hard on yourself, telling yourself, willpower, come on, that actually isn't going to get you where you want to go. And I love that you brought up the word space because space is so critical for us. You know, the space in between being told something or think something and the space in between what you want to do with that thought or that feeling. And most of us, like I said, you know, we're just on autopilot Mm. and we have a feeling and we believe it. And then we act that feeling out. Oh, nobody loves me right? I'm never going to get this. I keep on failing. And you actually believe it, even though on one level, you're trying to make sure it doesn't happen. But still, you subtly keep on believing it and keep perpetuating that. So yeah, sure, if you're awake and aware, you can park it. But most people I know are not awake and aware. And they don't know how to park it. You know, when I would read books, when I was messed up and screwed up and going through my tragedy in life, you know, I'd read a book and it said, love yourself. And I'd be like, well, if I knew how to love myself, I'd do it. So it's not helpful to tell somebody, just love yourself, or it's not helpful to go, you know, just park it. That's not helpful when they're really in the midst of it. They don't know how to get from, okay, I know I'm supposed to be able to park it, but then how do I park it? And that's where fearless living comes in. That's why I created something called the Wheel of Fear and Wheel of Freedom. So you know how you operate at every minute. And I think once you understand what your core fear is, what's driving you at the very core of who you are, it no longer tricks you. You no longer buy in. You actually see it. 
And then the wheel of freedom, what I do is help you discover your wheel of freedom, which is that part of you that you've left behind. By the time you were five, our wheel of fear and wheel of freedom is born, you know, is, is, is locked down. So that wheel of freedom, we want to be able to access that authenticity, you know, beauty, gentleness, innocence, et cetera. Yours is probably different than mine. Everybody's is unique and personalized. So, you know, we want to be able to identify our own individual fear so that we can see it. So we do have the space to make a different decision. And then with the wheel of freedom, you know exactly what to do. So there is that how piece, like how well, let me show you. Let me show you how. I mean, I was just talking to an entrepreneur and I did his wheels for him as Wheel of Fear and Wheel of Freedom. And this is the response I get all the time. Oh my God, it blows my mind. I can't believe this. This is so true. This is why I've been stuck here. And he went on. He now has, within weeks of working with me, he now has like the number one creativity podcast, number two business podcast. And he wasn't doing any of this when we had our session. He was just kind of floundering, working for other people. And he didn't know where he fit in. But the minute he got his wheels, he's like, oh, that's why I'm not doing A, B, and C. Oh, that's why I keep getting stopped. And so he is like, literally, I think I did his wheels, let's just say, I want to say October maybe. And it's now, you know, just a few months later and he's on fire. And wow. that's what happens. I had another client who, you know, made 150000 and within one year she was making $1.5 because, again, you're not going to believe the lies fear tells you anymore. Right. A few examples where space can really help. When I was teaching salespeople, I would teach them the pause. Yes. And that's where they didn't have to immediately respond to the customer's stimulus. They could actually stop process right. it, see what they're really asking or what the correct solution is, and then proceed in a more structured way. And the other example that I heard Ed Dale actually talking about was when he was doing uh, posting to social media or whatever, he was using a scratch pad where he would mm. put the post to a blank document first, mm -hmm. and then he would go back later and then edit it, and then he'd post it. So there was a delay process. We applied the same thing to our production line for content when we have a podcast like this it gets put into a for approval channel mm -hmm. and then it gets picked up and then published. So we all have time to digest it. And yeah. I really applied that to myself when I came up with Work Less, Make More book in collaboration with Kelly Exeter. The whole point of that was to help people find back that time. And then you can do that introspection because I agree with you and it's like at least a quarter of what I teach my students. It's back to yourself, self-effectiveness. We are most okay. likely the single biggest constraint to our our future of any possible scenario like nothing external until you get that internal and to your point earlier about you know can't do this because of the market or can't do that because of the politicians well in any market in any environment there's always someone doing well and high performing That's and there's right. and and they haven't bought into the lie they've probably got a better handle on knowing themselves right. you know? i mean think of 9-11 you know i just got done flying from cancun mexico right and you know every single thing is charged your bags charged your seat is upgraded right like every single thing 9-11 was horrific and horrible for the united states of america but it was really great for airlines right and why is so, that right because it's just like it allowed them to nickel and dime us, right? It allowed them to increase oh, their right. prices, it allowed yep. them to charge baggage fees, right? It allowed them to take the weight of the baggage from 75 to 50, right? It gave them full permission to do whatever they were compelled to do because it's like, well, now, hey, we have full permission. So, you know, you're absolutely right. In every midst of anything tragic, hard, uncomfortable, you're not sure what to do, there is an opportunity that lies inside there. And when you're stuck in fear and in desperation, you won't see that opportunity. You will be blinded to it because you're just now making a desperate decision. And, you know, one of my philosophies is if I feel desperate, because that's one of the things that happens to me on my wheel of fear, I 
I start feeling desperate. And when I feel desperate, I know, do not act, right? Do not act. Do not make a decision because it will be bad, right? I have to get centered. I have to get awake. I have to get aware. I have to be okay with yes and no. I have a chapter in my book, Fearless Living. If you can't say no, your yes means nothing, right? Can't say no, your yes means nothing. So I train my clients to anytime they want to make a decision, they have to be okay with yes and okay with no, because then the clarity comes forth and you can actually make the right choice for you, the best choice for you. But most people are, you know, driving on that wheel of fear, don't even know it and are just trying to move fast and et cetera, et cetera. I know that was me most of my life. (laughs) Well, I'm lucky my grandma taught me when she was teaching me to paint. She said, you can't have light without shade. And I really understood that all the challenges, all the difficult things, when we had a little financial dip as a family when I was a kid, when there was a recession, like the last time there was a real recession, and a lot of people listening to this won't have ever seen a recession. That's what helped me become who I am now because I think a lot of the things I do, and I'm conscious of this, building secure footholds and bases, financial strongholds is really making sure that was a one-time thing and not a repeat thing. I I don't want that cycle to repeat. It's the same as, as a parent. I feel a huge responsibility to my kids to be the best parent I can because they're likely to repeat the cycle of of, of how I parent them as, you know, a lot of prison systems probably have generational disadvantaged people who are Mm -hmm. repeating bad processes on society. So that's a, that's a really fascinating insight. For every hardship, for every difficult thing, there's an opportunity. And if you're in a place where fear's got you by the balls or if it's got a stranglehold on you, then Mm -hmm. that must mean that there is a really joyous and and amazing possible part. on the other side of that, right? That's That's the opportunity. You wouldn't be afraid. Your fear wouldn't be coming up if you weren't on the verge of taking a risk, right? right? If you're sitting on your couch eating Doritos, fear doesn't have to visit you. You're doing fine yourself. You got yourself locked down and doing nothing. But you think of a new idea, right? You think of, could I? Maybe I should ask this person. Well, what if I started this? Like even a new thought, which is, you know, I always say this to people. It's not just the action you take. It's a new thought. You have a new thought. You haven't, you know, made a million dollars yet. And you were like, oh my God, I'm making, you know, $50,000 a month. I could actually do it. Like that new thought actually brings up risk. And fear goes, well, something bad's going to happen if he or she does this. I got to shut them down and have them repeat the past, right? So that is the thing. Like just to know that if your fear is up, if fear of rejection is up, if fear of failure is up, fear of success, et cetera, then you are on the verge of taking a risk or thinking about a risk. So there is a big opportunity for you and you're just getting caught in the wrong filter, right? You're getting caught in the wrong thing, you know? So, so I always say, you know, every feeling, every value can be used in service to fear or freedom. So integrity, everybody loves to be called integrous, right? If somebody called you and, you know, my, that James has so much integrity. It's like, yes, I do. Right. But integrity in freedom means you can renegotiate. It means you can change your mind. Integrity when driven by fear is you can't change your mind. You said you were going to do it 20 years ago. Gosh, darn it. You're going to do it. Right. So there's no flexibility. There's no open-mindedness. There's just the rigidity. So, you know, every feeling and every value is used for fear or freedom. So it doesn't matter if you're angry. It's like, well, are you using angry in service to fear or anger in service to freedom? Oh, wait, what about the value of integrity? Like I said, or the value of love. People always say, oh, Rhonda, well, there's two emotions, fear and love. I'm like, yes, the problem is, is that so many of us attempt to love from a fear-based place and be people pleasers, become yes people. So yes, you're being loving, but you're not actually including yourself in the love. You're just doing what you think is loving for them, but it doesn't include you. So 
all feelings and all values actually are in service, either fear or freedom. So just saying the feeling or just having the value isn't enough. You actually have to challenge yourself and ask yourself, okay, what's driving this? What is driving this feeling? What's driving this value? Because just saying you have integrity is not enough because you might be really rigid and that's driven by fear. Well, it's like some entrepreneurs are really driven by childhood experiences where they had lack or they were teased and they're going to show the world and they're going to conquer and dominate. And this carries on as a full-grown adult with kids and everything, even to the detriment of their family. And I think it's fascinating. So what I'm hearing is the roadmap to our future is really contained within us. And it's about creating some space to actually sit back, reflect. And if basically, if we were to process things very quickly, if we could just expand that processing time and have time to sift out the wood chips and just find the real ideas, get the uh, signal and not the noise, then we're going to operate with a better um, future because we're now processing things in a smarter way. Exactly. And, you know, again, this is my work, Fearless Living, is doing that is yes, absolutely 100%. Yes, yes, yes. And for me, until I understood the fear driving me, those strategies would just be changing chairs on the Titanic. It wasn't actually coming from my highest and best, right? I think of a client that I had an entrepreneur, we were in a mastermind, and he said exactly what you said a minute ago. He said, I am sick of making a million dollars, losing a million dollars, making $3 million, losing $3 million. I just, I'm so sick of it. And so I asked him about his mother and, you know, his father, et cetera. And he goes, oh, this is exactly like my grandfather and my father. And I want to quit doing that. And I said, hmm, okay, so your grandfather, one lost, one lost, father, one lost, one lost, you now are one lost, one lost. I go, that's called belonging. That's called belonging. You belong now. And belonging is our number one human need. And so unless you're actually willing to forgive your father and forgive your grandfather and forgive yourself, that will just perpetuate, maybe making a prettier picture, maybe not lose everything, but it'll keep running that script, right? So you actually have to really understand, for me anyway, this is how I work, is once I understood that my wheel of fear and my wheel of fear trigger, my core fear is loser. So if I think you think I'm a loser, I smell it, I think it, then (laughs) I go into protection mode. Right. Right? And now, mind you, I've never been called a loser in my life. Right. So that's the other thing. Most people know what they they think they know what they're afraid of. And I always tell people you're ninety nine point nine percent of the time dead wrong. Right. So if people say, well, I was called stupid my whole life. I'm afraid of being stupid. I'm like, oh, please, you know, that one by the back of your hand. That's not your core fear. Right. So my core fear is loser. So, you know, I don't know. We didn't do core fear work with him. But let's say his core fear was incompetent. Right. Incompetent that he's incompetent no matter what he does. Well, that's going to keep making his decisions for him unconsciously unless he, again, takes it back and lives on the wheel of freedom. Now, for me, my wheel of freedom, the, the essential nature, what I call is authenticity. So think about this, James. If I'm afraid at the core of my being to be seen as a loser, is it a wise idea to be authentic? No. The answer is no, because now I'm afraid that if I'm authentic, you're going to know what I'm a loser, right? So that's the double bind. That's the trap our wheel of fear and wheel of freedom get us in, right? We go one way, it gets us. Another way, it gets us. So we want to have the pathway out so we know, oh, my job, I run to Britain, my job on my wheel of freedom is to practice authenticity no matter what. No matter if it's vulnerable, no matter if it's, you know, intimidating, no matter what, I have to speak the truth, say the truth, I have to be in the truth. And that many times in my life takes great courage. So it's to tell myself the truth. So it's more or less like figuring out your kryptonite and then making sure you build a lead case and protect yourself (laughs) from it. 
Yeah. And once you see it, you'll see it. I mean, that's what everyone says to me when they go, oh, my God, I see. I know now why I went to college, quit college, married, got divorced. You know, every decision you've ever made that you beat yourself up for, you all of a sudden go, oh, now I get why I did that. So it, it becomes a blame, just like melts blame and shame off you. Yeah. You know, just all that blame and shame and the past and who do you think you are and how dare you just literally melt off your back and then you can feel yourself again. You can know the difference between you in your truth, right, in your freedom versus the you driven by fear. Oh, and then you can start acting from that place. I did spend a lot of time reflecting on my past and why things happened the way they happened. And I, I feel like I did connect with a lot of the cause. And I, I certainly agree. A lot of people are programmed by the time they're five, parents say stuff like, you know, the boogeyman under the bed will get you, if you, you know, all this sort of stuff, or, you know, we can't afford that. All these things are laid down and imprinted. I liked that book, The Courage to Be Disliked, because that really mm. hit on the belonging thing, like square mm -hmm. on the nose. A yeah. lot of us, we do things so we're accepted, uh, and to step out of line is a big fear for many well, people. Yeah. Well, remember, our number one human need is connection and belonging. Yeah. And, you know, the last, what, three, five, ten thousand years, if you didn't belong to a tribe You're out. and you were out in the, you know, Congo, you were dead. Yeah. So connection and belonging is a embedded human need. And but most of us get connection and belonging through what I call the wheel of fear. Right. We, you know, feel desperate. We give too much. We get resentful. We promise too much. We over, you know, under deliver because we over promise. And so now we're in this, you know, cycle and we're trying, really trying to do the right thing. All the best intentions, like people have the best intentions and they just can't figure out why they keep getting tripped up. And that was my life. You know, my life after my you know horrific experience when I was 14, you know, for 20 years, I just couldn't get past my past. And it was only understanding the wheel of fear and wheel of freedom that I was able to get past my past. It was no longer that I'm wrong or bad or weak or stupid. It was, ah, okay, my wheel of fear is here to protect me. And I get to make a decision that I can actually move beyond that protection and actually be free. Yeah, that really makes sense to me. I had something happen to me when I was about 12 or 13. I wasn't aware that it had an impact for me for many, many years. But then upon hindsight, you could see, well, that makes perfect sense. Then you can deconstruct it, but only when it's visible. You know, when you remove the cloak of invisibility, you can deal with it. That's right. That's so right. I was just going to say, because that's the key. And most of us blame ourselves. You no, know, take away that willingness to actually see the truth. And we just blame ourselves because we're over responsible and, you know, we want to be good people. And that includes blaming ourselves for everything that's going wrong in our life. And we think that's being responsible and accountable. But in fact, that's actually not helpful, right? So I always say, once you understand your real fear, you won't uh, blame yourself anymore because you'll see your neurobiology is wired to do this, is wired to look at the past and repeat it. We are literally wired for that. So you didn't make a bad decision, a wrong decision, a stupid decision. You just made a decision because you weren't awake to how you could make a decision. It was just rote because that's what's worked for you in the past in some weird way and proven to you that you are stupid, loser, weak, not good enough. Again, whatever word you call yourself, right? Whatever you label yourself as. Fantastic. What are you going to be talking about at Superfast Business Live, Rhonda? Because I don't think you're a loser. I think you're a winner. And I, <laughs> I love your message. I always get take every time I speak to you, which is thankfully I get to speak to you a fair bit in the last yeah. six months or so. And yeah. I always learn something or I reflect on something in a different way because you've got such a body of information. There's so much you could talk about. What's going to be your message for our Superfast Business Live audience? 
Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I'm going to talk about, of course, is fearless living. But one of the tools I'm going to give, which I think is really critical, is how to take risks and see your decisions differently. So most of us, you know, we get our to-do list, right? And we get one to 10 and I got to do these things. James says to do these things, right? And we do one, two, three, we skip four, do five, six, seven, skip eight, nine, right? And then we move four, eight, nine to the next day. And again, we skip them, we keep skipping them, we keep skipping them. And they're like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just do them? Well, I'm actually gonna give you an exercise to break that whole mold so you can actually take the actions that are calling you so that you're no longer gonna be tricked. So I'm gonna basically put your to-do list on its ear and give you a whole no way to think about the stretchers can dies in your life, the things that you wanna make happen in your life. So you're going to have a different way to take action, a different way to think about it. And I think that is so critical. I have to say it's one of my favorite exercises. And it's one that entrepreneurs just eat up for dinner because they're like, oh, you mean I'm not dumb? I'm like, no, you're not dumb. It's just a stretch risk or die. And let me show you how. So I'm going to definitely do the stretch risk and die exercise. And of course, I have other things up my sleeve talking about entrepreneurship and small business and what it means and throwing in some money examples, etc. So I'm very much a interactive speaker. So we're going to be doing things together. We're not going to, I'm not just going to be talking at you. We're actually, you're going to be taking notes and you're going to be doing things so that we can actually embody it more so that when you walk out of super fast business that you're like, oh, now I know what to do. Yes, you know what to do and you know how to do it fearlessly. I'm really intrigued by that. I don't keep a to-do list anymore, but I would love to understand more about why there are some things that I resist more than others. And uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to overcome that, I think is worth attending alone, but I'll definitely be there anyway, since it is my event. (laughs) I think that is something we can take Kind of a given. Yeah, it's a given. I'll be there. I'll see you there, Rhonda. (laughs) Thanks so much. I'll see you there. I'll see you uh, there, James. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Get over to fearlessliving.org. Check out the materials there. Rhonda, you came to me actually through a referral through a friend who's spoke so highly of you and everything that he said was true and more and and uh, just such a bundle of positive energy, but backed by uh, neuroscience. I think that's just that's the right. perfect combo. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you, James. Thank you, James. Such a joy. I can't wait to see you in just a short time. Yeah. And we'll put this episode up. The transcription is available at episode 718 on superfastbusiness.com. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com. Thank you.